At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Baptist Health's Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also Chief of Cardiology at Baptist Hospital and Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health. You may think strokes happen to older people. That's something you don't need to think about until your retirement years. But listen up. A stroke can happen to anyone, anywhere, at any time. In fact, only about 60% of people hospitalized for stroke are over 65 years old. Knowing the signs and seeking immediate medical attention are keys to reducing the long-term disability and deaths. I recently had the pleasure of hosting an episode of Baptist Health's Resource Live program with a panel of Baptist experts who shared the facts everyone should know about stroke. My guests were Dr. Brian Snelling, the director of the stroke program at the Marcus Neuroscience Institute, Dr. Felipe de los Rios, director of Miami Neuroscience Institute stroke program, and Dr. Joshua B. Young, medical director and clinical chief of emergency medicine at South Miami Hospital. Let's hear what they had to say. So Brian, let, let's dive into the topic. I think it's always important to do a level set and a little bit of an explanation. Um, there are always mis- misperceptions regarding stroke and hopefully we'll, we'll address a lot of those during this segment, but let's start with the basics. What is a stroke? And the follow-up question will be, what are the different kinds of strokes? Yeah, great questions. Um, quite simply, a stroke is a disruption of flow of blood to the brain and that can result in the uh, brain cells being deprived of oxygen. There are three types of stroke. Uh, the most common type is an ischemic stroke, which is, uh, which is quite simply uh, that lack of blood flow. Um, and if those symptoms uh, go away or that blood flow is restored before permanent damage is there, that can be called a transient ischemic attack or a TIA. And then the, uh, a smaller subset of stroke is what's called a hemorrhagic stroke. And that quite simply is bleeding in and around the brain. The, um, the, you mentioned different kinds of strokes, and I think we'll get into a little detail, but the main point you said, it's a lack of blood flow to the brain, so the result is pretty much the same in terms of what someone might experience. Is that fair to say? Um, yes and no. Uh, it's I'm, the, I'm good with no. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> yeah, there's, there's really, you know, the big box is, is there, is there a lack of blood flow in the blood vessel itself? And if, if that's the case, then um, that part of the brain can want to die. Um, and, then, and then that smaller subset of uh, stroke, which hemorrhagic stroke or bleeding in and around the brain, um, that, that can also damage the brain and cause those brain cells to die as well. So two different ways of thinking about blood vessel disorders of the brain. Fair enough, but ultimately, when whatever the cause is, which we'll get to when someone has symptoms, get checked out real quickly so it can be addressed. Um, and speaking of symptoms, Josh, I'm turning it over to you. Um, certainly, in your emergency room experience, you see a lot of people coming in with strokes. So, talk a little bit about. Let's make sure why it's important to recognize what are the stroke risk factors, and then, of course, we're going to get down to symptoms and signs uh, afterwards. So, what would predispose someone to have a stroke? So basically, we can kind of think of, um, you know, two broad categories, you know, that can predispose you to having a stroke. And uh, that would be risk factors that are unmanageable, meaning we're just kind of born with them. And then risk factors that, you know, we can change things about our lifestyles and whatnot. So um, the unmanageable risk factors, you know, these are going to be things like age, um, you know, strokes become more common, you know, as we get older, although they can happen at any age. 
Um, uh, sex is a risk factor, you know, and um, there is an increased risk for, for strokes among males. Um, race uh, can play a factor, um, higher rates of, of strokes among African Americans. Um, but, you know, there are many modifiable risk factors that um, is really what I think, you know, we need to focus on. And, you know, these are things like hypertension, high blood pressure, diabetes, um, obesity, lack of exercise, uh, smoking is a, is a huge risk factor, excess alcohol. You know, there's some other kind of less common things that you may not think about as being, you know, increasing your risk for stroke. Um, uh, oral contraceptive pills, uh, some of them, the ones that, you know, contain estrogen um, can increase your risk for stroke. So, you know, it's important to have those kind of conversations with your doctor, especially if you have other risk factors that could increase your risk for stroke. So there seems to be a lot of um, um, effort um, in the medical community to identify the cardiovascular risk factors, prevent heart attacks, but it's the same ones as you just uh, elaborated on for stroke. They might be weighted differently, but it seems like heart attacks and strokes, blockage of blood flow to the heart, blockage of blood flow to the brain, the same things that can increase the risk of um, of stroke, we would consider the same for heart attack. Is that, is that you're exactly right? I mean, the the underlying you know physiology of how these diseases happen are, are very similar. So, um, you know, if you can decrease your risk for for stroke, you're also decreasing your risk for for heart attack. So, win win. Um, Felipe, um, what are the signs and symptoms that someone might be having a stroke? What should warrant calling nine one one, getting to the emergency room? Um, um, immediately. And then I'll have some follow-up questions after you review that. Yeah, and that's that's key because the treatment of um, a stroke is very time-dependent. So there's treatments that we can give, but the effectiveness, how, how well they're going to perform in returning a patient or person back to how they were before the stroke happened or to minimize injury really depends on time. So doing something in hours two, three um, is, is much more efficacious than doing something a, a day or two later. And it all starts with the person realizing or someone realizing that there is a problem, one, and two, that it's an emergency. Um, and that's, those, those two things are, are very tricky um, because people are much more in tune to, to heart disease, I think. Like people, if you realize you have a strong chest pain or going to your arm and people see that in the movies or things that they've heard and people know. Um, but stroke is, is not that, um, education on stroke is not that, uh, I guess, um, broadcasted and, and many, many people don't understand it very well. But if you realize that the brain is what really allows you to do um, everything as far as movement, thinking, speaking, understanding, and all of a sudden you have a problem with your brain, it's exactly what happens. You, you all of a sudden have that inability to do something, be that speaking, moving, feeling, hearing, balance. It's, a, it's that sudden. Well, at one time you were fine, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, you're not, and you can't do things. And um, sometimes the person who's having the problems doesn't realize it, but someone else does. And, um, and you say, well, you know, you're having problems with this, and the other person says, no, I'm fine, and they can't move one side of their body. So, so it's good for you, for us, you know, to, to know, but it's also important for the people around you to understand and know stroke because otherwise an opportunity might be missed or delayed. And there is one acronym that we use quite a bit and the American Heart Association uh, uses quite a bit. There's some educational campaigns on this too. It's called FAST. 
And uh, the F is for face. So one side of the face is, is weak. So the, the, it's, there's an asymmetry on the face. Um, a is for arm, but it could be leg true as well, but it's arm weakness. Um, you, the, the person has, has a problem lifting one side. There's, it's, it's weaker on one side of the body. S is for speech changes. So the person could have a problem understanding what, what uh, decoding language. So it's like they're all of a sudden, it's like you're speaking to them in a foreign language. They don't understand what you're saying, or they can't produce speech. They can't uh, utter the words or it's slurred. The, the, the words might be slurred. Um, and then the T is for time because time is very important. So you don't wanna drive yourself to the hospital for several reasons. One of them is you might be going to the wrong hospital because not all hospitals can treat stroke and, and you just don't know which ones are stroke centers, but 911 EMS does know. And then the other one is 911 or the EMS services can alert the hospital before you're arriving so that everyone is ready to treat you fast and you go through the fast pathway. So anyway, so that acronym is FAST, that captures about 85, 90% of all stroke symptoms. So if anything, that's a good educational tool. I think um, there was great information. I appreciate uh, articulating those components, but we do want people to call 911. Sometimes the thinking is I can get the person to the hospital faster, but 911 will still be there faster. They can start, they can institute therapy. They can make sure they get to the right hospital. So even though the urge might be to get them in a car and take them somewhere, we still want to emphasize calling 911. Yeah, you bypass triage. You don't have to wait in line and explain what's going on. You go straight to the doctor, right? Um, and in follow-up, um, you know, Brian articulated the different kinds of strokes. Do they present differently? Um, you know, you know, Brian mentioned a little bit. Is there anything that, from a symptom standpoint, would suggest one or the other? Just from an interest standpoint, obviously, symptoms, call 911. But just from a discussion standpoint? You can't say. Yeah, some people say, look, you know, I, 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 had, I was having these symptoms, and then I, I took five aspirins or something before I came to the hospital. And you don't want to do any of that. And, and the reason is um, you can't tell, like uh, Dr. Snelling was, was mentioning uh, earlier, you can't tell if what has happened is a, a ischemic type of stroke where there's a lack of blood flow to an area of the brain or a bleeding type of stroke, which happens in about 10, 15% of the, of the cases. You can't tell accurately, the doctors can't tell accurately which one it is. And that's why we need imaging. We need a, a head CT scan or a brain MRI so if you take aspirin, you might be um, potentially helping on that 85%, but you don't know if it's that 15%, it could harm and, and cause right. more bleeding. So you definitely don't want to do that. Call 911. Um, Josh, in follow-up, um, first, uh, from your experiences, um, it was, you know, we already discussed that anyone can have a stroke. It's, it's higher risk, as, as Brian said, it's higher risk with certain types of populations, uh, which you mentioned by age and gender and stuff. Um, but... Can you speak a little bit about two things? Do you see personally all kinds of people coming in? And secondly, do you see people coming in with complaints that are kind of longer than we would have liked? And if so, what drives that? In other words, when people come in hours after the symptoms started, can you see any trends as to why they didn't come in right away? So, I, I, you know, it's absolutely true, yes. So we see, um, you know, anyone can have a stroke and we do see all age ranges. You know, the majority of people that I do see with strokes tend to be older, but again, it can be literally anybody. And, um, you know, as, as Felipe was discussing, um, 
you know, the, the treatments that we have for stroke are very time sensitive. So we want you to be seeking medical attention as soon as possible. And I do see frequently see people coming in, you know, many hours, you know, sometimes days after symptoms started. And, you know, there can be varying reasons for it. Um, you know, sometimes it could be due to a lack of understanding of the symptoms or, you know, just, you know, hoping that they'll get better on their own, or, you know, maybe it doesn't seem as bad, you know, as it you thought it was initially. Bottom line is you want to really get in immediately. And one other thing I want to mention is, you know, that, um, you know, as far as the sort of spectrum or types of strokes, there's this sort of the TIA or the transient ischemic attack. Sometimes it's colloquially called like a mini stroke or something like that. But basically it's like you have stroke symptoms, you know, they come on for a while and then they go away and you're, you are back to normal. But, you know, having something like that happen uh, dramatically increases your risk for having a major stroke in the future. So um, if you have, a, you know, if you or a family member experience, you know, any symptoms like that, even if they go away completely, it may seem like things are fine, but, you know, your risk for a major stroke is very high. So you need to come in, in in that situation, you know, even if you're feeling better, you know, so that we can do an evaluation and and make sure nothing more serious happens. Felipe, I'm going back to you though for a second. And again, I, uh, you know, speaking from personal experience as, as a cardiologist, and we alluded to this before that the risk of cardiovascular disease is to avoid stroke and heart attack. Those are the major adverse cardiac events, of course, or death by either. And even though heart attacks are more common, people tend to be afraid of stroke more. Uh, it tends to motivate people more to change a lifestyle because of a stroke to avoid another stroke or stroke avoidance. So we mentioned the risk factors, but what kind of specific type of lifestyle improvements do you recommend or do you see that people can, can, can um, apply to decrease that stroke risk, to motivate them to do so? And I would second that. I mean, everyone should be somewhat afraid of, of a stroke. I mean, it's your brain and it causes permanent brain injury and no one wants to lose brain cells. Um, and if the damage can be irreparable, it's a leading cause of disability. So you definitely want to do everything you can to, to protect your probably greatest asset, your, your brain, right? And the good news is that like um, Joshua was, was mentioning, 80% of stroke is preventable. So there's a lot of, you can decrease your risk a lot. Even if you have some familial predisposition, the risk can be modifiable. It might not go all the way down to zero, but you can definitely influence that risk. And some of these things you can't really manage or, or identify on your own. So you have to go to your primary, get some blood work done, get your blood pressure checked. And doing that early in midlife, um, so when you're 30s, 40s, um, 50s, uh, really helps you set up good vessels, your, the, the health of your vessels for when you are 60, 70, 80, 90 or whatever, right? So it's never too late to start, but you want to start, you want to start early and checking your blood pressure, checking your cholesterol, making sure your cholesterol is good, making sure you don't have diabetes, um, those things you can't do outside of, of your PCP. Uh, and you have to do it periodically because you don't, you don't, you can develop high blood pressure, you can develop diabetes. So the fact that you don't have it today doesn't mean that you can't have it in two, three years. So you have to keep checking that. There are other things you can definitely do on your own, um, meaning following a good diet, uh, avoiding al excess alcohol, uh, avoiding too many sweets, uh, avoiding too, too many foods, uh, red meats, fatty foods, things like that, doing regular exercise, 
avoiding tobacco products in whatever shape, form, flavor they come at all costs um, is, is a good thing. Um, keeping a healthy weight. Uh, so all those things you can do on, on your own as well. All right, Brian, we've, we've kept you on the, on the, on the, kept you parked for a while, but now here's a, uh, if you will, uh, you know, the, 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 the best, the most important thing is get yourself aware of what the, uh, the risk factors are, what the symptoms are and get checked out. But now when someone's having a stroke, we keep saying we want them to get taken care of as quickly as possible. Walk us through a little bit now what we as the healthcare community, what do we do when someone's having a stroke? Take us through the stages and the actions. Sure, there's really um, three stages of treatment for stroke. There's what we call stroke prevention. So that's before someone has a stroke. And then there's, if someone's actively having a stroke, then there's some sort of therapy we can offer during that time. And then after someone has had a stroke, there is you know, post-stroke care. Um, and I'll, I can go into detail with each of those. Really stroke prevention, that's something we've touched on um, a lot uh, so far. And that can mean a spectrum of things. On one end, it can mean lifestyle modifications, so changing those modifiable risk factors um, that we talked about. It can also mean things like medications that may be prescribed by your doctor to reduce your chance of having a stroke. And in certain more rare cases, it can even mean a procedure or a surgery that can reduce your chance of having a stroke. So that's before you have a stroke. Once a stroke has occurred, uh, you know, and you call 911 and go to the hospital, again, there's also a spectrum of treatments. Um, that can range from things like medications. And in addition, there's also other uh, procedures or surgeries that could be possible to help reverse the symptoms of a stroke that you're currently having. Um, and then finally, after a stroke has occurred, um, there's a couple of different things. There's one rehabilitation um, to help improve any sort of neurological injury that may have happened during the stroke. But in addition to that, there's also uh, figuring out why the stroke happened in the first place so that maybe a medication or something else can be prescribed, a therapy or a surgery that can prevent a second stroke uh, because we know it happened once. It may, it may likely be able to happen again. So we want to prevent that from happening in addition to rehabilitation to get someone better. So uh, obviously you're saying it's a very customized approach, the person, their risk factors, the stroke, the kind of stroke they have, what recuperation necessary. So there's no one size fits all, but as you expressed in, I'm sure it's just the tip of the iceberg, many weapons we have now to assist the person to avoid, treat, and then recuperate from a stroke. Is that fair to say? Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of tools in the toolbox, as we say. So um, it's really important to just, as we mentioned, you know, have a primary care physician and then uh, regularly schedule, you know, uh, those sort of visits. So, so those those prevention things can be enacted. And then if a stroke is occurring, call 911, get to the hospital, and that way we can deploy all those uh, tools as necessary to, to, to uh, help patients. Well, again, you guys are very informative. Um, there's some good questions that we have in follow-up here. So let's take a couple. I'll direct it by an individual, but everyone can feel free to chime in on any other points. So for Felipe, um, what is a silent stroke, a term that we've, we've heard thrown around a little bit? Does that have any meaning? Yes, it's a term that we're moving away from um, because some, some, some stroke signs and symptoms are more evident than others, but you don't want to lose any brain cells at all. So there's really no such thing as a silent stroke. What, what It's a little bit harder to capture are cognitive deficits, right? So someone gets an MRI for headaches or, or any, any, or a brain image for whatever reason. And then they see that that person has had zones of brain injury in the past from stroke and they call them silent because the person didn't realize. But the, the deeper you look, then, then you start noticing that there are symptoms. And 
or it might be a change from the person's baseline. So their memory, their planning, their executive functioning or something might not be exactly the same as it was before, or it may increase the risk of having dementia down the line. So, so these strokes that are apparent on imaging are not truly silent. We now call them more like covert um, strokes, um, but they are a per, an area of permanent brain injury, no doubt. And it's fair to say they're fairly common too. Wouldn't we do a brain scan, for example, for a certain find and we find evidence of you know, covert strokes, like you say, which if nothing else gives an opportunity to modify those factors. Heart stroke. disease and, and cerebrovascular disease are common conditions. It has been estimated uh, that one in four women will have a stroke sometime in their life, one in five people in general. Uh, there's reasons why it might be a little um, more frequent in women, but one in four, one in five, it's extremely common. Um, so that's why looking at these factors and controlling these factors really, really increases your chances of, of, of health throughout your entire life period. You know? To our listeners, if you have a comment or a suggestion for a future topic, please email us at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.